910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Rose, last night John and I were watching Forged in Fire. In case you don't know what that is, that's the show where it's a competition centered around making knives and swords and just about anything that has a blade. I only know about it because I've heard you talk about it before, but why are you telling us this? Well, last night they made Russian spades and the one guy put his girlfriend's name on the handle of his and he said, for good luck. And if not, I'll know who's to blame. So obviously it was meant to be funny. He wouldn't really blame his girlfriend if he lost the competition. But I say that because that's the topic of our episode today, blaming. And blaming is a common sin that plagues all of us. Playing the blame game, which is sometimes includes making excuses. We all do it. And today we're going to look at the reasons people do it, the ways people do it, and what the underlying sins are that cause us to blame other people or other things for our circumstances, rather than taking responsibility for our own choices being the problem. Well, Chris, let's start with the reasons people want to lay blame on others. The first two reasons we're going to look at are fear and shame. To do that, let's take a look at the very first human sin, which is the place all humans have gotten their inherited sin nature from, Adam and Eve and the fall of man. Blame shifting is the original response to the original sin. Let's read Genesis 3, 1 to 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So familiar passage, Eve blamed the devil and Adam blamed Eve and God. As incredibly arrogant as that seems, Once their eyes were open from eating the fruit, Adam and Eve were afraid and felt shame, something they hadn't felt previously. Laying blame on others is an attempt to make someone else the bad guy and make ourselves look innocent, or at least not so bad. Right. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
That's the place a Christian should start when we sin. Don't let our first thought be, who can I blame for this? Let our first thought be, I need to repent and ask God for forgiveness. Right. But what about the shame? How do we handle the shame for those things that are out there for everyone to see? Shame can make us play the blame game because it's easier to be able to point the finger at someone else and blame them, especially if our sin is public knowledge. To be quite honest about it, it's easier to go down if there are other people taking (laughs) the fall with you simply because the focus is not solely on you. You know, we'd love to have someone else to totally lay the blame on so that we don't look bad, especially as a Christian. But again, that's not what we should do. We should repent and ask God for forgiveness. Reformation 21 says this about a Christian sin that's publicly exposed. And I'm going to quote them here. Guard against the temptation to blame others for your own sin. As a Christian, you're not obligated to sin. And when you do sin, it's a willful transgression against the law of God. No one else made you sin. Now you must own it. You're not helping anything by scandalously blaming others, publicly exposing them, and ensuring they take a fall with you. If someone else was involved in your sin, there are appropriate means that God has appointed for dealing with them, and you're not part of it now. Repent. Begin working through a process of spiritual restoration. Trust the Lord and his church to rightly handle others, end quote. Those are great, great points. And on another note, Fear can be a reason for blaming others, even if what we did wasn't actually sinful. We can fear earthly circumstances from our legitimate mistakes, you know, and the things that they cause. And in that case, we shouldn't play the blame game. We should take responsibility for what we did and then deal with the fear and anxiety about the circumstances. Turn to scriptures like Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yep. Turn to God, turn to God. Repentance or for anxiety. Put on your big girl pants and turn to the Lord for peace and for comfort. Rose, there's one more aspect of Adam's sin, though, that we have to deal with. I want to quote something from Pastor Ben Roach from a 2008 Desiring God article. Pastor Roach says, the first man caught in the first sin turns to blame his wife and he extends the blame to God as well. He implies that he would have remained innocent if God hadn't put Eve in the garden with him. Pastor Roach makes a good point that blaming others for our sinful actions can sometimes imply that we wouldn't have sinned if they hadn't been there with us. And this aspect of blaming someone else involves guilt tripping another person. And if it's habitual, it can become abusive. If you find yourself saying to someone over and over, I wouldn't have acted that way if you weren't always nagging me. Or if you didn't always start in on me when I'm dead tired, I wouldn't lose my temper. You need to stop blaming that other person and examine yourself. Regardless of how someone acts, we always have the choice about how we react to them. The buck stops with us, not them. It's our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's right. That's exactly right. 
Moving on in our reasons for blame shifting, we have the example of Moses, who seemed to have been struggling with the sins of anger or at least frustration over his circumstances, which led to blaming others. Let's read about Moses playing the blame game. And to give everyone a little background, twice Moses brought water from a rock while the Israelites were in the desert. The first time he was to strike the rock. The second time God said, and I'm quoting scripture here, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. But Moses doesn't listen. The Bible says, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, here now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So God lays the blame for Moses not being allowed to enter the promised land squarely at Moses' own feet. But when Moses is about to send them into the land with Joshua as their leader, Moses tells the people that he had pleaded with the Lord to let him see the land. But because of you, as Deuteronomy 3.26 says, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That's a total blame shift. He's the one who struck the rock instead of commanding it. It's baseball season, so I'll use this reference. We need to step up to the plate. We need to own our sin. Let's look at the story of Sarah, another total blame shifter who, I think it's safe to say, was frustrated and angry. Sarah was Abraham's wife. God promised them a child, but 10 years had passed and no child. Genesis 16, 1 through 7 says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Sarai, or Sarah, got the idea of giving her husband another wife, which was not God's design for marriage even back then. She did this to get the child God promised, but whom he hadn't provided in her timing. When things go south because of her sinful decision, a very frustrated and angry Sarah blatantly blames Abraham. Proverbs 37.8 says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Like the example with Moses, Sarah never admits fault. Sarah's either not saying the truth, unwilling to face the truth, or just unwilling to take responsibility for the consequences and wants Abram to take the blame. 
And he sort of turns the tables on her. He doesn't say, this was your idea, not mine. But he tells her to take care of the situation herself. Hagar was her maid. She could have dismissed her and sent her away. Abram is telling her to take care of her own mess. Which is exactly what we should do. We have to take personal responsibility for our actions and choices. James 1, 13 to 15 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is allured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's our own lusts and desires that make us fall for the temptations. We can't blame others. No, we can't. And our next reason that we tend to start blaming others is to get ourselves out of trouble. Aaron was the high priest when Moses and the Israelites were in the desert. He's a blame shifter trying to get himself out of trouble. And to give everyone a little background, in case you're not familiar with the story, Moses had brought the Israelites into the desert after God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. His brother Aaron was the high priest. Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God, where he's getting the Ten Commandments and other laws. And while he was up there, which was a while, the people got impatient. Right. And scripture tells us, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. God obviously saw what was happening and told Moses he was going to destroy them. But Moses interceded for the people and asked God not to destroy them for the sake of his name, meaning God's name, not Moses's. God doesn't destroy them. And Moses goes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments in his hand. When he sees the golden calf and the people partying, he's pretty angry, to put it lightly. <laughs> yeah, to put it lightly. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> Fear of getting in trouble can cause us to do a lot of things we shouldn't. Aaron knows what they're doing is wrong, and he plays a card common in the blame game. Get the people you're answering to on your side. Right. If you didn't catch it in the scripture that we just read, he basically says, come on, Moses, you know these people. They're set on evil. Aaron acts as if he was afraid of the group of people that he was supposed to be the spiritual leader of. 
then he blatantly lies about how the whole thing transpired with making the golden calf. He lays the blame at the feet of the Israelites, doesn't take responsibility for himself, and even says something, Chris, that's ridiculously nonsensical. I gathered up the gold that they were taking off and pitched it in the fire. And voila, out came his golden calf. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's what he says. You know, and we know he actually fashioned it with a tool. And in addition, he built an altar in front of it. <laughs> you know, but he never actually admits fault, just like some of the others that we've looked at. Proverbs 12, says the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Aaron did all of this to avoid bad consequences for his actions. The truth is Moses had already interceded for them. If not, they would have all been dead. Right. We see ourselves in all of these things, don't we? You know, yeah, it's like, <clears throat> definitely. So let's cover a few more reasons that people blame shift by taking a look at Israel's first king, King Saul who's another blame shifter. Let's read his history, starting with the prophet Samuel telling him about a mission that he's about to be sent on by God. And this is from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So King Saul gathers the troops, sets up an ambush, and attacks the Amal Amalekites. He doesn't kill all of them, though, something that we know from later in Scripture, as well as the fact that the Bible goes on right here to say in verses 8 and 9 that, and I'm quoting here, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. And the Lord tells Samuel what's happened. And the next morning, Samuel goes to meet Saul and finds out that he's gone to the town of Carmel, where he set up a monument in his own honor. And then he headed to Gilgal, probably to worship. When Samuel gets to him, Saul says, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But that's a blatant lie. And Samuel confronts him about it, asking, why can he hear the sounds of sheep and other animals if they'd actually followed the Lord's instructions and destroyed everything? Yeah, and this is where the blame game starts. His answer is they, meaning the soldiers, have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. There's several aspects of laying blame in that statement. First, Saul blames the troops. When we blame others, we're trying to make ourselves look good, or at least better, and others look bad. Or we're just trying to spread the blame around so less of the muck falls on us. And even worse, Saul was the leader, and he's throwing those under him under the bus. That's not just blame shifting. That's terrible leadership. Yeah. Second, he's making excuses for his actions. He tried to say that they did it for God. Yeah. So the prophet Samuel reiterates what God told him to do, devote 
everything to destruction. And still, Saul won't admit wrongdoing. 1 Samuel 15, 20 to 21 says, And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep, and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. If we tend to be blame shifters, Saul gives us something else to examine ourselves about, taking a good hard look at the reality of the situation. We have to make sure we aren't deceiving ourselves about the reality of the situation. We talked about lying to ourselves last week. Yep. Saul states two times that he has obeyed the Lord's command and then goes on to make statements that contradict that. Yeah, he does. I mean, right after he says that he's obeyed, he makes statements contradicting it. Lying to ourselves about what we've done and blaming others is the easy way out. Samuel tells King Saul, I'm quoting here from 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as the iniquity and idolatry. And there we find another reason people blame shift arrogance. The ESV uses the word presumption, like you just read, which means arrogance. We already saw that Saul had built a monument in his own honor. Here, Samuel names his sin, arrogance. Yep. So Saul does the one thing that a lot of blame shifters do when they're backed in a corner. He admits that he's wrong, saying, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your works. But, Rose, he doesn't stop there. No. Nope. He goes on to say, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. That's all from 1 Samuel 15, 24 and 25. So King Saul admits his sin, but still blames it on others. He should have repented and asked forgiveness from God. And after Samuel refuses to go with him to worship before the Lord and also tells him God's rejected him as king, Saul goes further saying, and I'm going to quote here, I've sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. King Saul shows again the underlying sin problem that caused him to blame shift and act this way, prideful arrogance. Arrogance or protecting your ego are common causes for blaming others. We're too arrogant to accept anyone thinking anything bad about ourselves or to sometimes even believe that we've done wrong. And King Saul basically was asking Samuel to make things look good for the people to hide his sin from them. In effect, he was asking Samuel to cover for him so that no one would know. Yeah. And there's a great proverb to help keep ourselves in check for this. And we all probably have heard it. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Certainly applies to King Saul. Yep, that's exactly what happened. The kingdom was ripped away from it. It's not about how good we look to other human beings. If we're always blaming and making excuses and wanting others to cover for us so that no one finds out the truth, we need to take a lesson from King Saul. We do. 
There's a couple more things to cover, Chris. As an article from Desiring God says about placing blame on others, and I'm going to quote here, Freudian psychology flooded our culture with the idea that every wrong action can be blamed on things that happened to you in early childhood, even before you were born. You don't have to accept any responsibility. You are the victim. And isn't that relevant today? It's so relevant today. <laughs> and it's just what seems to be happening all the time. Blaming someone or something else makes us feel better about our circumstances. It lets us tell ourselves we're not at fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's playing the victim card. McDonald's made me fat. I didn't know that smoking was harmful, even though it's all over the place for 20 years before they sue the cigarette companies. I made bad choices because of something that happened in my childhood, or my parents didn't raise me right, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you could right. go on and on. Absolutely. And usually we know deep down that we could do something to help ourselves, but by blaming something or someone else gets us off the hook from trying to help ourselves. And sometimes, again, with the arrogance, it comes with a sense of entitlement that we deserve help from others that may or may not come. And often without valid reason, there's a feeling of total entitlement. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, it's rampant today. So here's another aspect of blaming that some people deal with. Do you find yourself trying to pinpoint a reason for something that happened, even if it's not going to make any difference in the outcome of the event that's already transpired. If so, you might be a chronic blamer. A chronic blamer might see himself in these examples that I uh, I found on this Psychology Today website. And I, th I thought they were good and they're kind of applicable to all of us. You left this, I'm quoting here, you left the stove on too long and now your meal is burnt. On your way out the door, your cat escapes outside and now you'll be late. While walking down the street, you slip on some fallen leaves. When misfortune like this occurs to you, what's your first thought? Do you immediately figure out who was at fault other than you? Or do you resign yourself to accepting responsibility for such common mishaps that were under your control? Not everyone is equally likely to engage in the blame game, but there's little scientific research to advise us on who is most likely to do so. And Chris, they go on to say, and I'm going to quote too, we can, however, define a dimension of blame acceptance by adopting a few simple principles. On the extreme blame side of our scale would be people who can always find something else to blame. You could attribute the burned meal to your partner who doesn't help enough around the house, forcing you to multitask and forget the chicken simmering in the pan. You don't blame your cat for its misbehavior, but you might blame your neighbor who waved hello at just the wrong time. <laughs> Slipping on the sidewalk as a result of your clumsiness? Of course not. People should sweep up the leaves off the ground before they become a hazard. At the other end of the spectrum are people who always blame themselves for everything, even when they've had nothing to do with an unfortunate outcome. This isn't just false modesty or fishing for reassurance. Some people do believe that they cause every bad thing all or most of the time. Yeah. And, you know, I could see myself in some of those examples, you know, ah, <laughs> you know, a cat got out or, you know. That guy, you say, neighbor, why did you wave at me? <laughs> I probably actually would blame the cat. 
they are responsible for some things. Oh, but no, seriously, if being obsessed with laying or finding blame is your default tendency, even to the point where you'll blame yourself if you can't find an answer, then you may want to ask God to help you trust in his sovereignty and to show you why you feel the need to lay blame somewhere for everything that happens, even if it's at your own feet. Job had no idea why things were happening to him. His friends tried to tell him it was his sin. His wife tells him to curse God and die. And when God converses with Job, he doesn't give Job an answer why either. What's the point? Well, I'm going to quote Ligonier Ministries here. When we're befuddled and confused by things that we cannot understand in this world, we look not for specific answers, always to specific questions, but we look to know God in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his justice, and in his mercy. Amen to that. You know, Rose, people who study blame shifters agree on one thing. People who play the blame game believing it's going to benefit them in the long run are mistaken. And from a worldly point of view, research shows that people who tend to look outside of themselves to place blame on others for their own mistakes tend to lose social status among their peers, have lowered performance levels, and don't learn as much when they run into obstacles in life. And that seems all pretty obvious. Yeah, and it, it makes total sense. One more thing. Don't even think about being like the comedian Flip Wilson, <laughs> and we're dating ourselves if we know who that is, but he was a comedian who always said, the devil made me do it. We can't blame the devil for our actions. Romans 5.12 tells us that sin entered the world through Adam. God placed the origin of human sin on Adam, not Satan. I'm going to quote something from BibleTools.org here about this. In Genesis 3.17, God identifies the trigger of Adam's sin as heeding the voice of his wife. In the same way, our sin may also begin with heeding the voice of another, Satan. But he is not the author of our sin, any more than Eve was the author of Adam's sin. Though Adam and Eve played the blame game, God did not accept their excuses. If we hold to the justification that Satan is the real cause of our sins, we are trying to dodge reality just as they did. Excellent point. The bottom line is, are we always looking for a way of getting our own self out of trouble, out of looking bad in front of others, lashing out in blame because of anger or frustration, or are we blaming someone or something else because we don't like our circumstances? If so, we need to examine ourselves and our motives. Exactly. Blaming is the easy way out of situations. It takes maturity to take responsibility for our own actions. But if we never start, we'll never mature. So let's step up. Let's take responsibility and stop blame shifting. We're all responsible for our own choices and our own behavior. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And that's all we have time for today. Don't forget to check out our website, Proverbs910Ministries.com, as well as our Facebook, MeWe, and other social media pages. Have a blessed day, everybody. <music>